The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Smallpox. Here are your headlines today. Lockdowns returned. France and Germany imposed fresh national restrictions in hopes of stopping the spread of COVID-19 as leaders of both countries warn of difficult times ahead. Lock down the elderly, the most vulnerable, test, alert, protect, increase the bed capacity. None of this is sufficient in the current situation. We need to take it further. If the pace of infections continues like this, then we will reach the limits of what the health system can manage within weeks. U.S. stocks tumble with the Dow falling more than 900 points in its worst day since June as rising infections shake investors' confidence less than a week away from Election Day. Cost cuts help Standard Chartered beat the quarter pre-tax profit estimates, but low interest rates and pandemic pressures continue to weigh on performance. Stand Chart CFO Andy Helford joins us shortly on the show. Airbus sets its first guidance since the onset of the pandemic, as the French aerospace giant predicts it will break even next quarter, but warns the recovering global travel is slower than expected. We'll be uh, conducting a first on CNBC interview with the CEO later on. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Uh, we've got a very heavy day on the earnings front for you after what has been somewhat of a roller coaster on stock markets, particularly here in Europe this week. We've been witnessing a lot of red ink across the board. And yesterday, uh, the market really hit by fears around fresh national restrictions to contain the virus. But at the same time, we've been just delving through a lot of earnings and some of the reaction yesterday was quite negative. In context now, let's get into some of the banks. And Credit Suisse is the one crossing this hour. Uh, the numbers as we started out uh, this year were stronger than expected expected then the pandemic hit but we had a very strong second quarter on trading numbers that bolstered the uh, revenue at the business so getting into the third quarter now the uh, revenues are at 5.19 billion swiss francs the uh, q3 provisions for credit losses at 94 million swissy the q3 pre-tax line has crossed at 803 million swiss francs all that on a q3 net profit of 546 million swissy the operating expenses, uh, they have crossed at 4.3 billion Swiss francs today. If you take a look at the, the capital ratio, Q1 CET1 ratio is at 13%. Return on tangible equity, this is an area where we've seen very much hit across the European banks because of the pandemic. That uh, metric is still single digit. It's 5.4% in the third quarter. Now, what we're hearing around the dividend, and this is fairly key for many of the banks across Europe where there's been a hit uh, to uh, some of these payouts, Credit Suisse Board of Directors recommends shareholders to approve the second half of the 2019 dividend of 0.138 uh, Swissy at the EGM, the pending EGM. So uh, that is a call on the dividend that is coming through from the Board of Directors. The continued accrual of 5% higher dividend for 2020 compared to 2019. So news of that uh, cash flow coming back to shareholders, no doubt uh, positive 
also uh, a double whammy here, intention to restart share buybacks in January 2021. So a call on the dividend and also on share buybacks. Don't forget some of the Swiss banks are a little bit different to some of the other European ones that have faced more pressure from governments to cut back on those dividends. But uh, that and share buybacks. But uh, when it comes to that buyback program for 2021, it will be up to 1.5 billion Swiss francs. And this is a very strong signal that we're hearing on that buyback front. Uh, and uh, they'll also expect to repurchase at least 1 billion of Swiss francs uh, next year in that uh, repurchase program. They're well positioned to drive further balance sheet growth. So I think the comments are fairly strong that we're just hearing from the company today. But we're going to hear more later on today. The CEO, Thomas Gottstein, will be joining us at 8 o'clock CET. Uh, Jeff conducting the interview, uh, which is why you're not seeing him on set uh, at this stage. Well, Standard Chartered has reported a 40% decline in third quarter net pre-tax profit, rather, but has still beaten on expectations. This says cost cuts helped the bank offset a surge in credit impairments and the impact of low interest rates. Andy Halford, the CFO of Standard Chartered, joins us now. Andy, thank you very much for joining us and great to have you back on the program. Just uh, walk us through the quarter that you had and how it compares to the previous one. Yes, yeah, so we, we had a three and a half billion income print for the quarter and a $0.7 billion profit for the quarter and a very high capital ratio at 14.4%. So whilst those earlier numbers were down on a year ago, that reduction was pretty much exclusively due to the redu reduced interest rates. Actually, activity and the volumes within the business have held up really well. And actually, because our impairments were lower in the third quarter than they were in the previous second quarter, we ended up actually with a profit print that was slightly higher than the profit we posted for the second quarter. Andy, having been through the last crisis and watched those NPLs, all the impairments start to, to uh, grow over the course of time, this crisis feels just a little bit different in the sense there's been a lot of government stimulus, handouts, furlough schemes. What difference do you think that is making to your credit impairments at the bank? Oh, I, I think it is making a very, very big difference, clearly for all of us, the effectiveness of the, uh, the things that government do are going to be hugely influential in terms of how things play out here. Um, like most banks, we took some quite big impairment charges in the first quarter. Um, the second quarter, they reduced about a third. And actually, in the third quarter, they've reduced again by um, about a third. But um, it is clearly extremely helpful to have government that is supporting businesses in this period. And hopefully, that will maintain through the next two or three quarters as we get back to something closer to, uh, to normality. Andy, when it comes to confidence, the type of trading environment we've seen on markets and for the banks, it's been very different every quarter this year. You know, second quarter stood up because of the huge trading revenues that many of the big banks witnessed that bounce back in confidence. The third quarter, uh, clearly we've seen the reopening of economies, but now the fourth quarter, as we see lockdowns take place across some major economies in Europe, that's damaged confidence on the markets. What do you think the final stretch of this year will look like? Well, I think one of the things to note for us is that a very small proportion of our business actually is in the Western markets, which are the ones that are struggling with lockdowns. Um, the bigger proportion of our business is in Asia. And within that, actually, in particular, in Northern Asia, we, we are seeing much more confidence, much more momentum returning within the markets there. So overall, we actually feel, I think, probably a little bit better than those um, who are based maybe in, in sort of London or New York at this point in time. 
we have got momentum in Hong Kong, we've got momentum in China, we've got momentum in Korea, we've got momentum in Taiwan. So we are hoping that uh, the, the presence we have got will actually help us to be coming out of this slightly earlier, maybe than some will find. It's interesting to hear you draw that distinction between the markets, uh, and we're hearing that across uh, in other investment circles too, about the strength across the Asian corridor. But all along during this crisis, we've seen investors try to reposition around what they're seeing as uh, coronavirus hotspots, whether it's been in Asia or in the United States, now here in Europe. So how much confidence do you have as these waves continue to hit various places around the globe? Well, I think it's, it's difficult for any of us to be totally confident, isn't it? Um, all that we can say is that in those Northern Asia markets, the progress does seem to be progressively um, positive. Um, we are seeing that in many of the stats in our business, the volumes picking up, um, the, the loan loss rates coming down. Um, hopefully, the Southern Asian markets will sort of follow through on that shortly after. So <clears throat> I think confidence is difficult, but I think the direction of travel at the moment certainly looks, looks positive. And um, hopefully, if we're talking in a year's time, will be in a somewhat different position by then. Andy, you've made some statements today around the dividend. I was just talking about Credit Suisse and making some strong ones about resuming their payout, but also on the share buyback front. Just uh, remind us where you're at with the dividend and also share buybacks. Yes, so we, we, we stopped the dividend and the then share buyback program earlier this year um, following the discussions with the regulators. Um, we are now in a situation where our capital is actually above the range that we would normally set ourselves in a sort of business as usual situation. So we said today that when we close the year, we will reconsider um, shareholder returns generally. Um, obviously, that will be in consultation with the regulators. Um, but I would hope that if we're still sitting with capital that is above our ranges, that we will be able to make some uh, return at that point in time. We've obviously got another couple of months to go and see how macro plays out. We've obviously got discussions with the regulators, but uh, we would be hopeful that that is how it will play out. Andy, I want to ask you about the US election, obviously a long way away from the events in the United States as we talk about the, the predominance of the business across the Asian markets. That said, we've seen a very strong trade policy that has damaged some of the demand in Asia in the last couple of years. I wonder what bearing you think that the, the US election could have on bank stocks, including your own, if there's a change in the White House uh, or not, uh, if we see more hardline trade policies from President Trump if he's re-elected. How are you weighing up the, the different dynamics and, and what you could be facing in the next couple of years? Well, I, I think as with many businesses, obviously we watched with, uh, with keen interest. Um, it will be good, I think, to have clarity as to which way forward the US is going, whichever way that might be. Um, obviously, markets are slightly less like periods when there's complete uncertainty as to which way things will go. Um, so I think if we get that clarity coming up shortly, um, you know, we would hope for the markets we are in that this will be helpful It provide clarity and, um, you know, the growth, et cetera, that I've referred to will continue. Um, but uh, obviously all eyes on, uh, on what happens um, in the outcome of those elections. Indeed. Uh, well put, Andy. Thank you very much for joining us today on the back of uh, the earnings day. Andy Helford with us, the CFO of Standard Chartered. I want to take you swiftly now to AB InBev as uh, Q3 numbers are also crossing for the major major beverage player. Uh, the company today are posting its third quarter and nine-month numbers for this year. When it comes to uh, the revenue uh, in the third quarter, that is up 4% 
Total volumes have also improved by 1.9% in the third quarter. Normalized EPS is at 0.79 US dollars. That is a decrease from 1.22 US dollars in the third quarter of last year. EBITDA, uh, 4.89 uh, billion is what we've got, or million, I should say, US dollars. Um, uh, thanks to Reuters, very long numbers they're giving us. It is 4.89 billion US dollars. That represents a decrease of 0.8% on the EBITDA line in the third quarter. Uh, the EBIT excludes negative non-recurring items of 92 million. So we're getting a whole bunch of numbers crossing from the company, but more news on the dividend. The board's proposal with respect to a four-year 2020 dividend will be announced at their four-year 20 results on the 25th of February next year. So they are holding out uh, for a formal announcement later on. So we're not getting that particular news just yet. They're foregoing the 2020 interim dividend payment to prioritise deleveraging commitments, though, is what we're seeing. They expect their performance in the second half of this year to be better than the first. So slightly more upbeat about what they're anticipating, just in terms of... uh, what we had on uh, some of these lines, uh, the polls were seeing Q3 revenue at 11.79 billion. That was uh, the anticipated number. So it seems as though what we're seeing on the third quarter at 12.81 is uh, slightly better than expected, but of course, well down on the same time a year ago. Uh, but a business that certainly has been pivoting towards more premium brands trying to eke out better revenue and uh, then the pandemic hit and you've seen consumers a little bit challenged on spending habits but uh, the numbers crossing today and we'll of course have reaction on the market open uh, today and let's move on to airbus it has said it expects its free cash flow to break even in the fourth quarter as the french company took a 1.2 billion euro restructuring charge in the third quarter the aircraft maker managed to stop bleeding cash in the period citing a convergence of production and deliveries but airbus warned the recovery in global air travel has been slower than expected leading to a lower than expected uh, sales print in the third quarter we're going to be speaking to the airbus ceo guillaume Fari later this morning that's a first on CNBC interview. You can see that at 10 CET. Well, let's get back into this roller coaster that we saw on the stock markets yesterday, uh, in particular for the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq stateside. You may have thought I was talking about the European markets there, where you saw the reds first starting to flash up yesterday, but it continued stateside. We had the worst trading day for most of these major indices since June, but also the worst trading week we've now experienced since the market was roiled by those pandemic fears back in March. So the the extent of declines in fact technology uh, stocks reversing the most out of the major indices. 3.7% down also in a week as we get set up for major tech earnings after the bell later on today. So uh, the print uh, 943 points to the downside for the Dow and it was United Health, one of the stocks having the most negative impact on that index. But also when it comes to the others, uh, the stock market's reversing for the likes of the S&P and also the Nasdaq with a fairly significant hit coming from Apple stock. Uh, investors picking up on these cues that we had over on this side of the world about national lockdowns uh, this time yesterday. We are talking about the televised speech that we were looking forward to from Emmanuel Macron in France and suggestions that Angela Merkel was talking to regional leaders. But of course, fast forward, all that crossing and US markets also rattled by the narrative. Don't forget, we've been talking about the uh, need for regional lockdowns that could contain the virus. No need for national lockdowns again after what we'd learned. But here we go. Uh, we're back 
stuck in that scenario, although they're lighter than the first round. But uh, when it comes to the big stocks in the technology basket, you could see how it played out. Apple stock down 4.3%. Microsoft, one of the big reporters already this week, a reaction are negative, and you can see down close to 5%. Facebook reversing, we've got losses there. And also Alphabet, when it comes to two, those two big names, as we look forward to the earnings, many investors want to see what's happening with the advertising side of the business, so the real driver, the engine for some of these businesses. Let's get into uh, the early picture stateside this morning. We are chasing a bit of a bounce back, uh, as you would expect, after sizable losses yesterday. The market's perched in the green at this stage. Well, France and Germany have imposed new national lockdowns. Uh, the latest is uh, these measures will ho- hopefully, ho- well, they hope, will, will combat a resurgence in COVID-19 cases. French President Emmanuel Macron says people will only be allowed to leave their home for essential work or medical reasons until at least the 1st of December. Restaurants and bars will close while schools and factories will stay open. Meanwhile, Germany outlined less severe restrictions with restaurants, gyms and theatres shutting down. The measures will be in place until at least the end of November. There's some hope that this might be some sort of a circuit breaker before Christmas. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said it was clear the government had to act. We can say that our healthcare system can cope with the challenge today. But if the pace of infections continues like this, then we will reach the limits of what the health system can manage within weeks. That is why we need another national effort until the end of November. After two weeks of coming into force, we will meet again as government in German states and look at where we stand, if necessary, adapt measures. All this serves the purpose of being able to arrange better public life in December under coronavirus conditions as we know it today. Well, let's get out to Charlotte for more on these restrictions. Charlotte, uh, this takes us back to where we started out the year, where many people were just remaining in their homes to contain the virus. That said, these measures are not as harsh, not as strict, where people are allowed out for some exercise now. They are a little bit lighter than what we saw in the spring, but still they went for the tougher option of what we knew they were looking at. They were looking at reducing curfews, etc. But they did go for a national lockdown, something they said they wanted to avoid at all costs. But yesterday, President Macron speaking on television, admitting that the country was being submerged by a very fast second wave and that even uh, they were surprised by how quick and how big it was and that even their worst scenario, the most pessimistic scenario, uh, didn't envisage the current situation. It was saying that about a few 56% of all ICU beds are already being taken by COVID patients. And, and whatever measures the government would take now, they still expected that by mid-November, all the ICU capacities will be taken by uh, by COVID patients. So painting this very grim picture, uh, the president was announcing this new national lockdown from um, midnight Thursday to start on Friday until December 1st. And as you say, uh, all non-essential shops will be closed. Uh, uh, people will be allowed to go to work. Work from home is still the priority for option, but manufacturing will be uh, allowed to continue. And in co- announcing these difficult measures, uh, President Macron yesterday was calling for unity in the country in this second lockdown. Take a listen. I'm aware of the fatigue and the notion of a never-ending day that we're all dealing with. We must, no matter what, remain united and in solidarity and not fall into the trap of being divided by poison. This period is hard because it's challenging our resilience and our unity, but it also reveals who we are, men and women connected to each other. Very few generations have had to face as many challenges as we do.
The historic pandemic, international crises, terrorism, the divisions in society, and an unprecedented social and economic crisis linked to the first wave. But I believe in us, in you. I believe that we can overcome this. And that was President Macron speaking yesterday, announcing this new national lockdown. <clears throat> now today we'll get uh, the details of this from uh, the government, the Prime Minister and other ministers presenting the details here. There will be a need for a self-certificate from people to feel, to explain where they're out, whether people will be allowed, how long in the spring it was one hour, one kilometre around their house. So we'll see whether it is the same now. Uh, travel between regions is banned from this weekend. Um, one, uh, one main difference with the spring is that school will remain open. Now there will be some adjustment again will be presented today by the government. But the president said that the, whatever it costs, the package of supports will stay in place and that will give continuing to support the economy. And they will review whether non-essential shops can reopen in two weeks, of course, before the all-important Christmas season and the, what it means for the economy, Karen. Charlotte, thank you very much for running us through the latest measures. Well, coming up on the show, uh, more earnings for your Clarion to keep profitability steady in the first nine months of the year, despite a decline in sales. We're speaking to the CFO right after the break. Stay tuned. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. It's super earnings uh, day here in Europe. Uh, very busy Thursday playing out for you. Clarion to third quarter numbers also crossing this morning. Let's get into the latest from the company. The sales from continuing operations decreased by 6% in local currency. 2.83 billion Swiss is what's crossed. Continuing operations EBITDA at 419 million Swiss. The EBITDA margin resilient. This is quite a stunning line from the company today, 14.8% compared to an operational performance of 14.8% in the first nine months of last year. So uh, quite a comparison there that's steady despite all the issues with the pandemic and the hit to demand. The outlook uh, in a continued difficult environment amid COVID-19 resurgence, the focus is on impact mitigation and performance improvement in 2020. Well, let's get into the detail with Stephen Linen, who joins us now, the CFO of Clarion. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us today. Do you want to get into that margin number for us? I was quite fascinated that you managed to keep the margin fairly steady on the EBITDA line, despite what we have witnessed. Yeah, good morning to you in London as well. Yeah, let me explain. Um, of course, we've um, seen some really unprecedented environment in the uh, past few quarters. Uh, by the way, not only the COVID-19 pandemic, but also um, in the third quarter, uh, the uh, massive oversupply in oil markets reached us and uh, affected our natural resources business. And that's why um, the uh, uh, maintenance of um, EBITDA margin on um, previous year level after nine months is uh, particularly noteworthy. And the background to that is that um, our care chemicals business performed um, extremely resilient. Here, specifically the consumer-facing um, um, segments, including personal care, home care, um, and hygiene um, articles, is, of course, something which is more asked for also in these times. 
our catalysis business is still solid after nine months. And as I said, the natural resources has been a bit more affected in the third quarter. But the first reason for the um, margin um, um, preservation is particularly the high specialty ca- character of our core continuing portfolio. And the second one is, of course, the the significant amount of programs which we run in terms of um, ensuring the safety to our employees, um, maintaining business continuity to our customers. We did not have any major disruption on our incoming or outbound um, supply chains. And at the same time, we run some significant cost mitigation and cash programs. Stephen, can you get into how strong you are seeing the signals from Asia? We've been talking this morning about some of the differences that are playing out in that corridor because of coronavirus. I'm just comparing your statement from the last last quarter to this quarter. When it comes to China and India, you're now talking about reporting double-digit growth. Last time around, you were saying demonstrating solid growth. It seems that those corridors may have improved for you. Uh, yes, that's totally right. I mean, um, uh, from from a regional perspective, really, uh, COVID nineteen impact and the demand impact hit us most in uh, classical Europe and North America. Um, but in Asia, we were uh, very resilient after the first uh, uh, nine months uh, with um, a performance of two uh, percent in local currency improvement in Asia Pacific, and that was mainly driven by China. China, of course, with the prolongation of the Chinese New Year into the epidemic and then pandemic, um, has really recovered very fast and is um, up on and above normal levels. Um, that means we are have been growing after nine months by 10% in China and even in the in the third quarter particularly by 27%. So in China we can see really a growth um, uh, and and a more resilient in COVID-19 times. Plus of course uh, the reaction to our significant investment and focus into that area over the recent years. So it's an absolute um, core of our um, five pillar strategy and it's paying back now um, for us having the assets and capabilities on in the country to. Um, take advantage of that development. And in India, I would say it's it's a bit um, of a mixed effect because there was just also in the third quarter particularly um, a strong uh, demand for catalyst in the uh, in the mobility sector, uh, which drove the third quarter and India, therefore, um, recording also significant um, increases after nine months, while the rest of Asia, and particularly the more... Um, um, yeah, Historic strong uh, countries like Japan and Korea um, have been also negative to us. Right. So, Stephen, let me ask you about the new developments then. We're seeing lockdown light, national lockdowns come to place across uh, a couple of major countries at this stage in Europe. What does that mean, given you've already witnessed uh, some of the headwinds in Europe in particular from lockdowns and then the reopening that's taken place? Yeah, first, um, first it's about our, um, the safety of, about, uh, safety of our employees. And what we have done is now we've basically uh, went back to the more stringent measures which we had in the beginning. I mean, a chemical company, you always have a very safety, uh, high safety uh, awareness. And the AB teams we had all, all around, but um, the, the, uh, the uh, yeah, sending into home offices again is what we are reinforcing uh, even before the announcement uh, which came um, uh, yesterday. Um, second is then the business continuity to our customers. We have to keep our productions um, working and we have to keep our supply chains inbound, outbound working. And again, we, are, we, are, we have taken very good experience because we didn't have any major um, impact in the second quarter lockdown and we are very prepared for that also in the third quarter. So the final question is, of course, what will demand do? And uh, what I would expect, again, is that on the care part or the more the consumer-facing elements of our business, which is in care chemicals, partially also natural resources, um, they're more robust, uh, while, of course, industrial 
applications uh, will bore more, be more affected similar to the second quarter. So, Stephen, can I ask you what lies ahead then for the oil market? Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the volatility that you've seen as a result. What do you think is going to play out over the next 12 months? What sort of clarity have you got at this point? That's a good question. Uh, I don't have the crystal ball what happens to the oil market for the next 12 months. But what I can say is from our strategy uh, point of view, um, we've been uh, adopting our strategy in our oil business uh, um, basically one and a half years back. Uh, and we're focusing much more on the offshore um, business, which is today the split in oil for us is 50% offshore and 50% in land business. And when you look at the crisis, the land business is, of course, the much more affected. Um, and the offshore is actually pretty resilient also in these times, which helped us. And in the first quarter, we were still reporting very strong growth. In the second quarter, we were good. But in the third quarter, we've seen, of course, a dramatic decline also from the overall global um, oversupply situation. Uh, now, the uh, the other effect in the third quarter is that the hurricanes, which you could see in the Gulf um, um, of Mexico, um, affected also the offshore production a little bit. So that's, again, um, signs which affect us now, but we see from a strategy standpoint and also the strong cost mitigation program run in that business that we have been outperforming peers um, in the first half of the year who are active in the oil sector and can do so right. also in the coming quarters. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us today. Stephen Lynan with us, the CFO of Clarion, running us through the earnings. Well, speaking of numbers, Volkswagen now crossing for the third quarter and uh, just diving into the, the latest, the uh, company returns to profitability. That's the headline from the company's uh, press release this morning. Countermeasures implemented worldwide against the COVID-19 pandemic showing results. Deliveries of 6.5 million vehicles after the first nine months. That's 18.7% down on the previous year. This year's first increase in deliveries was recorded in the month of September. Some news flow had crossed on that, but uh, the company confirming that increase in deliveries for September. Group sales revenue, that decreased by 16.7% to 155.5 billion euros, a gradual reduction in year-on-year decline. They're saying the operating result before special items has turned positive again at 2.4 billion euros, but that is still 12.4 billion euros lower than the previous year. They say the main reason is demand-related decline in sales. Uh, earnings before tax at 2.3 billion euros. The automotive division, uh, this is a positive net cash flow, 1.4 billion <clears throat> also reflected in the normalization of working capital in the third quarter. Net liquidity has risen to 24.8 billion euros. Successful placement of hybrid notes strengthens the capital base, so they did tap capital markets for some support. The dividend payment of 2.4 billion euros in October. So again, fresh news on the divvy there on the, the payout to shareholders, 2.4 billion uh, just to reconfirm that number. But uh, clearly a heavy impact on demand, but they're saying there's a noticeable recovery in the third quarter. But then of course, we've got a question what happens in the fourth quarter as we've seen these fresh lockdowns and uh, in major countries, France, Germany, for instance. So we're gonna watch what impact that has on demand for the final stretch of this year. Well, we're going to be speaking to the CFO of Volkswagen, Frank Vitter, will join us later on this morning. Don't miss out on that first on CNBC interview at 8.15 CET. Well, pivoting over to one of the stocks we've been watching from the COVID perspective and the type of vaccines it's working on, uh, and that is Sanofi, a stock price 
that is down 11% so far this year. The company posting its numbers this morning as well. And net sales for the third quarter have been crossing plus 5.7% at a constant foreign exchange rate. 9.48 billion euros is the line. Net debt decreased from 15.1 billion euros as at the 31st of December to 9.64 billion at the end of September. So a reduction in net debt. The Q3 net income uh, is at 1.95 billion euros. That is plus 10.5%. So you are seeing some positive uh, numbers in these uh, reports today. 2020 business EPS guidance revised upwards as well. So is, this is giving you a, a side insight into what happens into a sector where money is still being invested because of the appetite for vaccines at this point. Uh, the company going on to talk about uh, the currency impact on 2020. Business EPS is estimated to be between minus 6% to minus 7%. So it's talking about some currency headwinds there. Our COVID-19 vaccines development efforts continue on a fast track, along with ensuring global access with pre-orders signed with major countries, regions and non-profit organisations. That is the latest from the CEO on where they are at with the vaccine. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.